0: Listening to the Jim Laird Show on Body IO FM, where health and performance collide, with your host Jim Laird. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Jim Laird Show on Body IO FM. I am Jim Laird. Um, I'm super excited today. Uh, People are probably going to get sick of me saying this, but I just got out of my float tank. And um, if you haven't tried a float tank, if you're in the Lexington, Kentucky area, um, I strongly encourage you to try it. The reason I got one is I was floating twice a a month up in Dayton, Ohio. And it's truly the only thing that ever has gotten me to shut off. And um, that's one of the reasons I love it. I love giving people tools that are idiot proof. Um and the float tank is pretty much idiot proof. You just lay there and chill out. And uh we've had a couple we've had about 30 people run through it. We've had one person that didn't really like it, but everyone else loved it. Uh one of my clients is super type A. She uh texted me later and said, Um, it's the only time I've driven the speed limit in my life. So it chills you out great, which is what we need more of. So I'm excited today because Eric Cressy's on the line and and I always try and get people on my show that that you know people ask me you know how do you do this why do you do that and and I have some people that I look to for information and Eric is one of those people one because he's really good at functional anatomy he's super smart he's been in this a long time but he makes things really simple and that's one of the most important things and one of the biggest mistakes people make in this industry is they give this technical information to a consumer that really doesn't really care. They just want to train. And Eric makes things really simple. He's really good at, at smart exercise selection. Um, so that's one of the reasons I had him on today. I met Eric back in uh, New York, I think, at Syracuse at a Elite FTS seminar, if I'm right. And uh, Eric was speaking there. And so ever since then, I've been following Eric um, online every time Eric does a, does a show, I always listen to what he has to say. He's a, he's a super smart guy. I'm luckily going to his seminar. Um, it's actually, when this comes out, it'll actually have already occurred. This will be coming out the Tuesday after the seminar. So I'm really excited about that. I visit his facility in Florida. This'll be my first trip to Boston. So, and we're going to put a link to his bio in the show notes so we can just hop right into things. Uh, Eric, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: You're very welcome. I appreciate you coming on. I was listening to a show that you did with DeFranco, and um, I-, I love listening to Joe because he's just no BS and um, keeps things simple. And he's really done a good job making a brand for himself. But you said something on there that I thought was very, very wise. Um, you know, especially with the baseball guys you work with, they're super highly skilled, but on like a physical preparation side, they're a, they're a D or an F. And your goal is to really make them a C. You know, could you expand on that and kind of explain, because I think that's something that a lot of strength coaches kind of get confused because they think they have to make their athlete into this like world class weightlifter or super performance beast in the weight room. And a lot of times with me and I know with you, you know, trying to become a weight room warrior actually negatively affected our athletic career
1: yeah absolutely you know i I think one of the things where baseball is unique um potentially even more than any other sport you 'll encounter is that there are there are traits and then there are athleticism and you have to be able to separate the two things, even though both of them are super important for success you know if you 're a hitter, sports vision is wildly important if you have really really bad eyes and you don't correct your vision, you're probably going to be a terrible hitter um so there's that side of things you know, but on the mound you know you've guys who have you know, long fingers that can throw better changeups. You have guys, um, you know, maybe have a little bit more congenital axes. So they're more loose joint. It allows them to contort their body and get into certain positions. We know that, like, having a more retroverted shoulder or something allows for more external rotation, layback during the caulking phase of throwing. That's going to make you, uh, you know, more likely to throw hard. And I think, you know, just to be honest, I've seen guys with 15-inch vertical jumps who threw 95 miles an hour and it never registered with me. So you have to With the beginning of the day, you know, you really have to... Check your ego at the door and stop thinking that it just is a—it's a 600-pound a squat or a 500 bench or something like that—that—that that, that means this guy is going to be successful. In reality, um, in a sport like baseball, where you know you have hundreds of millions of dollars wasted on injuries every year, number one priority is keep these guys on the field. Yep. In many cases, you have guys who are talented enough, um, you know, to be great big leaguers and, and have successful careers, but they literally just can't stay out there. So, if if at the end of the day, if you look at all the facts, you look at all the research, and then you interact with hundreds and hundreds of athletes in this niche, and you come to the conclusion the only way to make them better is to put 200 pounds on their squat, you're really, really bad at what you do. Um, and I know that sounds really, it sounds kind of like narrow-minded, it makes it sound like our guys aren't pushing themselves in the weight room or anything like that, but everybody kind of gets to that point where they realize, holy crap, Like, look at the New York Mets, like three quarters of their infield is out with spine injuries right now, you know? Yeah. like. Clearly, adding more to a squad is not going to be what makes them better, and that's not a vilification of anybody, you know, in the organization. I or think like that's just, you know, it's, it's probably some happenstance that, that relates to it. But you know, the point is that there are other ways that we need to make guys. Uh, you know more durable and you know that, that goes across all 30 organizations so we try to separate ourselves from what we're emotionally attached to historically from a this guy's an athlete you know I guess perception and we try to figure out what it is that different guys need um, and so when I look at like what keeps a baseball player healthy and high performing there are really like 11 different factors that we work on um, you know, everything from like tissue extensibility and soft tissue quality to you know the actual stability side of things to mechanical component to systemic factors to mechanics to usage there are all these different things that you have to look at um, and strength is really just one of many so we're certainly going to train it we're going to work hard on it but we're going to be cognizant of how strong is strong enough and and for the most part uh, our baseball guys can get there in an off season um, you know and then we also going to talk about the education side of things how do you sustain that um, through the season
0: absolutely you know I, and I've even seen this in football too like yeah, you know, I worked with a guy a couple year, about five or six years ago who ended up being the CFL MVP and he ended up almost being the MVP in the Super Bowl. And, you know, when I first started working with him, he couldn't do a squat without going into a massive extension. He couldn't stand on one foot. But this guy, you know, was running like, you know, four or five, you know, super big vertical jump, very explosive, but he couldn't stand on one foot. He couldn't do real basic things. And so, like with a guy like that, loading him up even more isn't gonna do anything. You know, I remember when I started in 1997, I started at Liberty University. And then I ended up going to Arizona and working for Brad Arnett. And I was thinking, going from Liberty to Arizona, which is like a big time Pac 10 school, I was like, man, this is going to be awesome. We're going to have so many great, cool things we're going to be able to do with these athletes and stuff. And I got there. And I was shocked. I was like, you know, we had kids that couldn't do a body weight reverse hyper. We're talking like Gilbert Arenas and like, you know, Luke Walton and Richard Jefferson, you know, struggling with single legs, you know, squats. And and, and I was, you know, I talked to Brad about it. He's like, you know, all these athletes are just, they're just don't have a good level of preparedness. They don't have basic fundamentals. They've gotten where they're at because they're highly skilled. And so I thought that was going to be able to do all this cool stuff but it was really just basic fundamental stuff, you know? And so I think we get kind of get the, uh, the cart ahead of the horse. Have you noticed since the beginning of your career, I I know I have, maybe it has something to do with, I know a little bit more than when I started. Um, have you noticed the general physical preparedness of athletes in general, uh, decrease in the last, you know, say, since you started?
1: Absolutely. The last 10 years, dramatic change. Um, you know, if you take the typical, high school kid that walked in for an evaluation at age, you know, 15 or 16 in 2006 versus now in 2016, we're, we're devolving. We're, we're actually yes. headed in the wrong direction. Um, and it's actually really scary because it's not just a physical thing, right? It's yes, there's not this broad foundation of, uh, you know, kind of like a rich proprioceptive environment, like a, a lot of different athletic endeavors that make you more likely to pick up these specific skills later. But there's also a, a, a pretty dramatic shift just in terms of mentalities. Um, like, speaking just brutally honestly kids aren't as tough you know if yes. you look at the yes. the big picture right now and that's a really really hard thing there are more kids that are that are definitely sheltered where you know i think if if you look back to when you or i were Iowa in high school if you got a bad grade you owned it, you know, it was your fault for not working hard enough for not putting in the time, the effort, um, you know, and you had to address that. I think there's much more of a likelihood of now it's the teacher's fault
0: or your Um, mom's going to to, to, to advocate for you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think, you know, obviously you see that certainly carrying over the athletic community when, You know, there are coaches that are, you know, (laughs) probably being put under the microscope way too heavily and more and more parents getting involved and trying to get coaches fired and things like that. Like that just, that never happened. I mean, you certainly, growing up, you have coaches you like and coaches you don't like, and some that have more pronounced impact on you than others, just like teachers. Um, But I I don't remember ever like growing up hearing about like coaches, like calling for, or sorry, parents calling for a coach's head um, or anything like that. So it's, you know, when you see the physical and the, the psychological components both headed in the wrong direction, um, that's, that's scary. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't think there's like a, a future where we're not going to have kids good enough to play in the Major League Baseball and the league's going right. to go away or something like that. But I just, just think in general, it doesn't really bode well probably for our industry. And it's our job to, to kind of change that up and, you know, and make kids tougher and teach them, um, about the importance of, you know, lifelong activity patterns and staying healthy and, you know, yep. doing this for, for the long haul.
0: How has that changed your approach as far as how you deal with things? And I know you're working a ton with kids that are playing year-round sports, and I know I struggle with this. I try and get a lot of my kids that are, like, in volleyball or baseball to pick the better. Like, if the high school competition is better than the than the club stuff – you know, hey, let's take the high school season off or, play, you know, or vice versa or play club and take the high school season off, work on developing your body. How, what, have, how, what are your strategies for dealing with these kids that are playing year round that, that aren't going to take a break?
1: You know, I think, I think it's a three pronged uh, approach. Um, you know, the first one is, is something that I think everybody does. You know, we have the educational component. We need to tell them, Hey, here's what we know about, you know, kids that throw more than a hundred innings and pitch 12 months out of the year. They're way more likely to get hurt. You can throw those factors at them, but they don't always register what, what I found are, are two strategies actually probably make a much bigger difference in terms of affecting that change. First, you have to create a culture, um, you know, that, that excites them about being in the facility that gets them to buy in beyond just, Oh, you know, my trap bar deadlift went up, you know, 70 pounds in the last three months. Like right. that's exciting. But, um, more importantly is the culture that says, Hey, there are, There are guys waiting that that are expecting me at training today. We're going to work at this together. I'm going to be part of a family. So that's something we've worked really, really hard to cultivate in our facility. The other thing that I've had really, really good success with is – uh we're fortunate to have a strong pro clientele that's that's generally around um yes. where if there's a high school kid that thinks he has all the answers at age 15 you know by playing for four different club teams you know at, at all, all times you know i can quickly go and i can grab a you know kid like tyler beat and can say hey tyler was a three-sport athlete his freshman year of high school he was a two-sport athlete his sophomore year he was a one-sport athlete his junior year and he actually regretted it and went back and was a football baseball guy as a senior in high school. Was a first round draft pick um, out of high school. You know, went on to to Vanderbilt and won a college world series. And then was a first round pick again. And now he's one of the, the top two or three prospects in the Giants organization. He was a kid who stayed healthy, has made con- continuous progress over the course of the you know the the. 8 years I've known him and he he did it the right way. You know what I mean? He didn't he didn't have to be everything to everybody all the time. Um, knew how to take a step back and take care of his body and stuff. So, you know, and usually what you do is you you say, "Hey, meet Tyler Beatty." And Ty can dodge for that, that stuff talk about what it meant for him and yeah. talk about how How impressed scouts were that he had never thrown more than 80 innings in high school. And you can talk about the, you know, the relationships he developed playing football and what lifting around a bunch of big league guys when he was a sophomore and junior in high school meant to him. Those are the things that, that work because think about it, Jim, you and I, we're, we're old farts. We're not, we're not cool. You know what I mean? I'm (laughs) 35 with two kids. Like, you know, like we're, we're probably cool in different capacities in this industry, but to a high school kid, we're just a cranky old man that's trying to take away their fun. If you can put it in context for them and say, "Hey, they want to be big leaguers," have them talk to a big leaguer. That's something that's helped us a lot. And obviously, it's not something that's perfect for everybody. But you know that there's a 15 year old kid in your facility that looks up to that 18 year old kid that's training across the room. Yes. Um, you know, so we try to create that culture of not just guys pushing each other, but guys educating each other and and really watching out for one another.
0: Absolutely. Um, something I think you do really well. Um with is, is assessment. You know, I, I, there's some people in this business that assess absolutely everything. There's some people that just bring people in and, you know, just load them up and let them go. Um, you know, you got to be kind of somewhere in the middle where you're, you're looking at these different things, but you have to be able to train people like people are coming in to train. It's, it's not physical therapy, um, you know, and, and could you kind of explain your assessment process? And I, I particularly... How your assessment changes according to the individual, if, like it's a baseball player, or say maybe an MMA fighter, and then then what do you do for like a general population?
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, I think it, it all begins with a conversation. Um, so we have a, a specific portion of our office that we devote to assessments. Um, so really that begins with them filling out paperwork when they first roll in. So health history, waiver form, stuff like that. Um, and really the the name of the game with something like that is, you know, discussing not just like injury history, but also training experience, what their goals are. Um, so, you know, in the baseball world, I'm asking a lot of questions. I'm asking, you know, how many innings have you thrown? Are there things that you struggle with? Like, can you not throw fastballs to the glove side? Do you, you know, find that you're cutting balls off? You know, where do you predictably miss? Um, Did your velocity change over the course of the year? Was it you throw harder in the first inning or the sixth inning? Like, so I I ask a ton of those questions. Um, and really it's, it's building rapport. It's getting to know them. Um, you know, it's, it's acquiring information that I need to write the best program I can, but it's also acquiring information that I, I think helps to build rapport to show that we have a genuine interest in them and that, you know, to, to some degree, it reaffirms our expertise because if you go to somebody who doesn't deal with baseball players, they're not going to really, you know, uh, necessarily buy into the fact that you understand the game if you don't ask some of those questions. So for us, that's a very detailed conversation. You know, that probably takes, you know, 10 to 15 minutes depending on how, uh, you know, down that rabbit hole we need to go. You know, if it's a guy who has a big surgical history or has struggled, things like that. I mean, you know, Steve Seashack is one of our long-term clients. Steve's a relief pitcher for the Seattle Mariners. And, you know, with with Steve, like, uh, I've trained him since 2009 when he was in low A and this off season um, he's actually a free agent so like our initial uh, evaluation we went out to breakfast together and we talked for an hour and a half Um, before I ever saw him physically I I wanted to know about hey how did things work out what were you dealing with and we we talked about free agency where he wanted to wind up what we were looking for you know in a team that would be a good fit for him and and what his goals were Um, you know and and, you know he and I are good friends Our, our wives hang out together our kids are about the same age so we talked about that so you know I think assessments can go as far as you want to from a discussion standpoint um, you know going back to you know our portion in the office um, usually we like to start in the office because we do um, at least with our male clients we do uh, shirtless assessments so um, we'll have them go shirtless we do static posture assessments um, and then branch out into you know some different stuff we will use some SFMA stuff in the office so we'll check cervical flexion extension rotation um, we'll look at, uh, you know toe touch, so multi-segmental flexion. Um, you know we'll look at various scap screens, so taking them through abduction, and flexion, measuring how much upward rotation they have, things along those lines. Um, we'll do uh, some manual muscle testing for cuff strength tests. Um, I'll usually do a quick look at an elbow in the office. I usually like to to do that later on the table because it's a little bit better when it's unloaded. Um, we'll also do a push-up assessment, single-leg balance in the office. Um, and then from there, we'll head out onto the training floor um, where we get to a little bit more, of you know, uh, we get access to tables out there. So I'll do more of your kind of conventional orthopedic range of motion assessments um, at both the hips and the shoulders and the elbow. Um, then we'll stand them up and we'll get them moving. We'll look at, uh, you know, uh, push up. We'll look at overhead lunge walk. We'll look at overhead squat. Um, you know, we'll look at ankle mobility. We'll We'll, we'll kind of go down those different rabbit holes as much as we need to, and you know, think about it is our, our assessments are very much like a choose-your-own-adventure book. Like you know, if you if you test you know uh, hip internal rotation, the flex position, and they have a cranky hip, then we're probably going to do a Faber test as a follow-up and see if this is someone that needs to be referred out to get their hip checked out. So there, are, you know, a lot of things along those lines that we look at. Um, but you know, my big thing is that, and this is so so important, I think, particularly in the private sector, is the assessment is 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 not just just an hour and a half of judging somebody, where where you stand around and you tell them everything that's wrong with them and make them feel like they're hopeless and they're, they need to be a chronic pain person. Our assessment is to gain the information that we need, and we want to train on the first day. So our assessment, all told, shouldn't really take more than 30 minutes in most cases. Sometimes it will go a little bit longer than that if there's a big injury history, but in that first day, if I have a 14-year-old kid in for an assessment, we can do that whole assessment in we're gonna train. We're gonna teach him foam rolling. We're gonna take him through the warm ups um and we're gonna get in probably, you know, ten to twelve training sets. You know, I wanna I wanna look at his single leg technique, I wanna teach him how to deadlift, I wanna look at push up technique because that's that's a chance that – to build rapport by saying, hey, we're getting closer to your goal today. We're not just going to sit around and, you know, moan about everything that's wrong with you. That's not productive. So, um, you know, that's something that I find really, really important. Um, you know, and I, I disagree with people who turn the assessment into this, like, you know, incredibly long duration thing that, you know, uh, takes them not closer to their goal.
0: Well, and the thing is too, you can tell a lot about somebody by just getting them out and having them do some basic things, you know, some bird dogs, some, you know, see what they can, if they can stand on one foot, you know, every yeah. training session is an assessment, you know, Absolutely. really. You
1: know,
0: how, yeah. So that's how you kind of, how you deal with like a baseball player. How would you, what, what would your approach be? Um, you know, say if you had an MMA fighter or a football player, yeah. like how is that going to differ?
1: Yeah. So that's, and that's, I think the, uh, you, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, good movement is good movement. So yes. there's there are portions of that assessment that are wildly applicable. Like you need to be able to stand on one leg, whether you're an MMA fighter, a baseball player, um, you know, or a football player. So I, I think that, you know, you're, you're probably in a situation where it's 90% the same. It's just that the questions that you're asking yes. are probably different. Um, and I think, you know, what probably happens a little bit more Um, I would say beyond just the baseball side of things is, you know, like with with a, with a football player, you're probably going to go down different rabbit holes in terms of performance testing. Right. So you might want to actually look at some performance outcomes because in baseball, what's your performance? You know, it's, you know, can you throw a baseball hard? Can you hit 300? What can you do? I right. think with football players, you're obviously looking at different performance metrics. So looking at a vertical jump, um, you know, actually looking at sprint technique on day one, things like that are probably more specific assessments for them. So, um, you know, truth be told, I don't do many assessments like that. Um, you know, we're so heavily niched on the baseball side of things. My business partner, Shane, in Florida is, is very, very big. On the lacrosse side of things, awesome. And Shane, Shane coaches lacrosse as well. But honestly, if you look at his assessments, like very rarely is he gonna do like a, you know, a, an aerobic capacity test or anything like from a, a pure conditioning standpoint on day one, because I think he understands prioritization, right? Most of those kids that he's getting are going to be high school age. You'll I mean, we'll have some college guys, stuff like that. But if you're gonna do a conditioning test on day one, you're gonna wipe them out, and you're not gonna get in quality strength work.
0: Absolutely.
1: So to that point, like. If, if you're gonna do work on that first day do something that they really need usually they need to they need to build some strength put some muscle mass on so let's get them closer to their goal so i got a kick out of it i remember in years past like um you know one facility that was that was trained in baseball guys had like pitchers doing, doing vo2 max testing on day one' They're like <laughs> really what the, like what is that like that's trying to like wow guys like how about you take a resting heart rate and, and head on your way? And, you know, I'll usually do resting heart rate in conjunction with like doing like a, a pseudo thoracic outlet test just to see if they lose their radial pulse and, you know, an external rotation. So. Or put uh, them on a
0: high speed treadmill. I just, yeah.
1: yeah <laughs> I've just, seen, I've, seen, doesn't, I've doesn't, seen that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there's, there's, there, you know, it's there, sometimes it's just gimmicks. It's trying to, yeah. you know, inf- inflate their worth a little bit and, you know, or, or they're billing for it. You know what I mean? They're, they're trying to, uh, to charge for even more. So yeah, I really right. think it's just important to get the information you need to write the program um, and, more importantly, use that first day to build report and get them closer to their goals.
0: Okay. So, you know, what I, you know, I tell this to coaches all the time. You know, pe- people come to me, they're interns, or and they want to work with professional athletes. And I know with, like, with you, like with Joe, um, it, it just kind of happened. Like, you didn't try. Yeah. Like, it just happened. And with me, you know, like the, the professional athletes that I – have worked with. I obviously don't work as with as many as you or Joe. Most of my clientele are women, and, and that kind of happened by accident too. I didn't even try. Um, where was I going with this? I just had a brain fart. Um, yeah. you, you don't even. But people don't realize. I you know. Talking with Pete, your 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 business partner, you guys do a ton of general population. Like I, I think yeah. it's almost impossible. Um, you could probably pull it off, especially with all your blog stuff that you do and your products, but it's almost impossible to run a gym exclusively training professional athletes. But you yeah. talk a little bit about your general population and, and what do you guys do, uh, assessment wise for them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, it's, it, it I, I would say that our, our athlete revenue is very cyclical. That's the nature of dealing with, them. I mean, pro baseball players, you know, between, Oh, basically, I would say the first week in March and the first week in September, you're not getting revenues in the baseball world on the pro side. So, you know, if you're going to if you're going to basically make a, a living just training pro guys, you better plan on working all the way through the holidays and going like gangbusters for those six months and then having six months where you don't do a whole lot. And if you, you know, can, there are guys, yeah. if you can even get them, <laughs> if you can get that clientele. And, and usually what you see with those guys is there are people who who have their guy. You know, what I mean, it's kind of right. like the PGA Tour, like. You know, pretty much all the highly ranking PGA guys have their guy that travels with them. You see it in tennis obviously quite a bit. Um but that's not even happening really as much anymore because a lot of those those outside trainers aren't allowed in like major league clubhouses and things. So things are definitely different in that regard. Um, but you know, to, to your point, yeah, you 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 think that you know you're you're as we as we kind of like uh, aspire to like this you know end goal in our career, we all think we just want to train pro athletes, and it's certainly awesome and it has its its perks and everything. But at the end of the day, they're they're normal people just like everybody else. They don't want to be like doted upon or anything like that. They want to be pushed and they want to be you know treated like normal dudes. So you know we try to respect that, but at the same time, we also try to you know develop a general population clientele. So we have. You know, our strength camps in both our Florida and our Massachusetts facility, um, which is, you know, a little bit more of like your – I would say call it an alternative to CrossFit, Um, you know, maybe a little bit less – you know, aggressive on the exercise selection side of things, but still metabolic conditioning, um, you know, metabolic resistance training, that kind of stuff. So, you know, we offer those in both facilities. And you know, I'd say that if you look at our Massachusetts facility, there's probably, you know, 50 active members in that Monday, Wednesday, Friday between 530 and 1030. Um, so those do very, very well. We have the same thing that's kind of taken off now at our Florida facility. Um so, you know, those are, those are important things for us. It's clear, you know, consistent revenue, um, you know, throughout the, uh, the year, they don't go in season. Um, but at the same time, I think it's, it's, it's exciting because you, you know, and we have semi-private clients as well that aren't, um, you know, like, you know, doing the, the strength camp classes, they're, they're more mixed in with our pro athletes. Like we have a, we have a, a client who comes in, um, you know, who's probably about, Five foot three, Um, 62 years old. He's got disc issues and stenosis in his back. Like he's basically training just to stay healthy and have a good time. And, you know, he'll be in there rubbing elbows with our pro guys, giving out fist bumps between sets and stuff. And, you know, you see that quite a bit. We've got an 82 year old client down in in Florida that bangs out push ups like they're going out of style. And he's been a super successful businessman. So, like, uh, you see these guys who have been really, really successful in different avenues of life. And they're just as rewarding. They can probably teach you more than the pro guys. Absolutely. Um, so I, 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 you know, I was cracking up when you posted that video of your your ninety year old client yesterday doing the the sled drags. I mean, that that was like, you know, you could have showed me a video of an NFL linebacker doing ninety seven inch box jumps, and I would have liked the video you posted of that ninety year old better because that's what it's about. Like, I have I have huge respect for for people who uh, who understand that dynamic in our industry and appreciate that. Hey, like, you've been training that guy what fifteen, twenty years? Like, yeah. A, yeah, since two thousand one. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Like, like if you – I don't know if you've seen someone like Greg Justice's stuff. His book was fantastic. Yes. Like, Kansas city based personal trainer. He's had clients for decades. Like yeah. that, that's, is there any better compliment that not just that someone trusts you with their health, but they do it for like that long? You know what I mean? They've, you've made them feel awesome for decades of their life. I think that's a, a really powerful thing. So I embrace adult clients. I get really, really excited about it. Um, and we certainly always want to make sure that they're a big part of what we do both from a, you know, an understanding different population standpoint, but also because of, you know, from a business standpoint, it, it helps us to be successful.
0: How do you approach the um, the assessment on them? Do you just uh, smart exercise selection, or do you do some sort of general uh, assessment with them?
1: We still do the general assessment, and there are a lot of pieces that are that are very similar to what we do with our athletes. Because again, I think good movement is good movement. But I think that there are scenarios where you might contraindicate certain assessments, right? So if you know if you have someone who's coming in and you know they're the general pop, they're pretty detrained. Having them do an overhead lunge walk might look horrible. Um, yeah. I remember Rick Mayo at Performed Better last year gave an awesome presentation just talking about like, hey, we don't FMS some of our clients because I know their trunk stability push yes. up is gonna look horrible. You have to know how to pick and choose what to what to test. And and I actually I get a fair amount of those. Like in our in our business, if you really look at who I'm seeing for assessments, it's it's really broken down into like five categories. Cool. Like I know, like my shoulder issues. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's elbow issues. I was just going to say it's it's five categories. It's pro athletes. It's shoulders. It's elbows. It's really like crazy surgeries, and then it's one-time consults. So I see a fair amount of those crazy cases where you know people have something weird that's going on. Maybe it's stumped a couple physical therapists, and they want to go outside the PT realm to try something. Or there are people who have had like. You know, a biceps tenodesis, which is a really, like, not so common, but becoming more common approach to fixing shoulder issues, and I've seen a lot of them, so I have a lot of experience there. So you have to understand, you know, how to scale those assessments back when things aren't necessarily really, uh, the right fit.
0: Absolutely. Like, the nine year old guy I've been working with, when I first started with him in, like, 2001, I didn't know a quarter of the stuff that I know now. Um, yeah. But, you know, he had severe back issues. He was scheduled for a fusion his wife was training with me. She brought him to me. She said, Hey, you know, what, what can you do for him? And I said, Well, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a PT. But, you know, why don't we just move around a little bit and see, like, talk to your orthopedic, see if you could delay. You know, I, I talked to his orthopedic. Uh, the orthopedic told me what not to do, uh, which I think is the most important thing. And I just got him on the floor, did like, yeah. you know, a modified version of like a Parisi warm-up. just got him in quadruped, knee circles, you know, glute bridges. You know, within two weeks of just him moving on the floor, doing some simple quadruped rotation, all of a sudden his back pain went away. And he hasn't had any problems since. And it was nothing fancy. And I didn't know what I know now. And then part of the reason that he was able to get better is by just putting him in quadruped, we got him out of extension you know so i didn't i wasn't i had was clueless at the time but just by starting with basic fundamental stuff and i'll kind of go back to something you said in defranco's podcast i think one of the problems today is there's so much information on the internet and people haven't mastered the fundamentals they haven't mastered the hinge they haven't mastered sagittal plane stuff and then they're throwing all this crap in there that and these kids or these clients haven't even mastered the basics or the fundamentals and it's just turned into a giant shit show
1: Yeah. And I think that also speaks to the fact that they don't understand how to build a successful business. And I know that sounds, I don't want to say that's like an arrogant way of of saying it, but you know, think about why they're doing that. You know, the, the reason is because they feel like they need to embrace novelty because that's what clients. Right want right clients get bored very easily you know like i think we, we get bored easily we don't maybe don't do it in a, in a in a training standpoint because we're we're wired differently like you and i could both squat deadlift bench for the rest of our life and we're probably happy campers most people aren't like that they get bored very very easily so what i think the the typical trainer looks at is they say hey how can i just change this up you know that's why you see so many personal trainers who just make things up you know on the full fly they don't write programs there's no rhyme or reason to it what people don't realize is that that novelty doesn't just have to come from the training side of things. That novelty can come from the experience. It can come from the fact that you know you try to engage them in conversation differently, that they feel like they're part of a big family. So it's like the novelty that came from going to hang out with their buddies in high school or anything like that, the novelty from saying, oh, which pro athlete am I going to see when I go to the facility, or you know, who's going to be hitting a PR in training. Today, that's the novelty that's exciting. Honestly, that's why CrossFit is kicking a lot of people's butts. You know, they're they're obviously giving novelty on the training side of things. But I think what people lose sight of is that they're they're adding a lot of novelty to novelty to people's social experience. Yes, community. Um, You know, they're giving them different experiences every time out because you never know who's going to yell what. They're they're dressing up for classes sometimes. They're they're challenging people in different ways. And you you can you can do that if you if you know how. I mean, we used to have like kangaroo court. With our minor league guys every Wednesday morning, it was a way to just have fun, add laughs, things like that. That's novelty that shakes up their week when you know things could get very mundane.
0: Yes, very true. It's it, there's a fine line there between pro- providing variety, but the, the funny thing is, is that you can do the same type of thing if you're looking for like some sort of scapular action. You know, I can do. 15 different variations of a row that do the exact same thing, but it's a different exercise. So a lot of that yeah. is is Absolutely. very important. You know, you can provide a different exercise every week that's accomplishing the same goal that you're trying to get, but you kind of have to know what you're trying to accomplish. Um, let's talk a little bit about, we talked about assessments. There's kind of this, mm-hmm. this thing in our industry right now where you've got a camp of people that want things to be perfect and we know things are never going to be truly perfect because we're asymmetrical by design and then you've got this camp that doesn't give a rat's ass at all that's just going to movement is movement and it doesn't matter um talk about how you know you talked about you know you you don't want to uh let the client know everything that's wrong with them because you know I've seen people get that have never had pain in their life all of a sudden they get assessed they they hear everything that's wrong with them in the assessment and then all of a sudden, the next week they've got pain. Um, yeah. Qu- Quinn Hannyok talked about this on one of his podcasts that the power of mental, uh, of the mind. Uh, you know, how do you go about, you know, telling people, you know, hey, we need to work on this and work on this without creating dysfunction?
1: Yeah, I think well, it's it's some of the like the, the Dale Carnegie strategy. You know what I mean? You've got to you know, if you're gonna deliver some tough news like that, you've really gotta sugarcoat it with, you know, positive vibes. And that's right. I think like Doctor Andrews is probably the the best guy out there with that. Like, you know, I've I've had a number of athletes over the years that have gone to see Doctor Andrews and no one's ever left with like the doom and gloom. You're probably never gonna pitch again, like this, that and the other. Like that's not how he is. He's unconditionally positive. He's patting him on the back, saying we're gonna get you fixed up. Like and and that stuff resonates with people. Like there's research that shows that staying positive improves clinical outcomes. So I think um it really drives me bonkers when, you know, when an assessment is taken to too much of an extreme, like certainly you can say, here's some of the stuff that I identify, um, and here are some of the problems that could be fallouts from it, but we're going to work on it. Like you, you don't, you don't give them the doom and gloom diagnosis. Um, you know, you don't push them down that path. I really disagree with that. So I think, and I think the last thing that you do in an assessment is an aggressive contraindication of things. You know, you don't say this, 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 and this is out um, you know, that, that to me, isn't a good decision. You know, it's, it's one thing to say, Hey, you know what your hips, you know, they, they definitely don't have the mobility we need to, to squat, but you know what, we can get a great training effect with single leg work and you know deadlifting with an elevated trap bar setting. That's, you know, taking something and and transitioning it to a positive. Um, I think a lot of times though, there are people who are, they're kind of fear mongering, you know what I mean? They're, they're trying to really over embellish some of the stuff that they find. And maybe that you know is what is what you know gets them more follow-up visits or something like that but you don't want to make your people tentative. you don't want to make your people afraid to live their life or to exercise. Um, I think it's our job to make them excited about exercise.
0: Absolutely. I know PRI has kind of influenced a lot of what I do. You know I've learned a lot from Mike and Bill and from yourself. Um, how has PRI kind of added to or changed the way you approach things and do you use any of the PRI assessment in your in your assessment?
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, to give you a backstory, I, I first went to a PRI course, I think it was back in 2009 or 2010. Um, you know, and it was, it was fantastic. I went on the recommendation, my buddy Neil, who at the time was, Working for the Diamondbacks and is now uh, the Dodgers' head athletic trainer, and he had had a great experience with it. And um, for me, it, it put a lot of things into context. You know, it, it allowed me to see things through a different light. Um, you know, maybe a, a little bit more of a model through which injuries uh, occur in, a, in somewhat of a predictable pattern. Um, but I think the, the the big thing that I try to emphasize, and I've probably been one of their biggest advocates. And I can't even tell you how many people in the strength and conditioning field have gone to PRI seminars because I've told them to. Um, you know, but I, I tell people don't get so, so caught up in it that you forget everything else. Yes. Um, you know, for us, it's, it's probably one to 2% of our entire philosophy. Um, it's probably one to 2% of our assessment process. When you really think about the amount of time that goes into the conversations the other, you know, tests that we're doing. Um, but all it is, is it's a system, you know, and it's a system that can help you to, uh, you know, regain neutrality, to create a better learning environment. Um, so doing a 90, 90 hip lift or or hip shift with, you know, five breaths at the beginning of a training session, isn't something that's going to take forever. It's a a minute worth of work, um, that may get guys into a better neutral position to stay healthy and and be successful. So for us, we try to see it as that, um, to be honest, if you look at our assessment process, we actually don't really do, um, a whole lot of the true PR assessments. Like I can't tell you the last time I did an adduction lift test, um, You know, but if you really think about some of the stuff like they do an extension drop test, that's a Thomas test. You know, I mean, it's been around for an extended period of time. They talk about, you know, in your classic left AIC, right VC pattern, you're going to see limited right uh, shoulder intern rotation, like we check that anyway. Um, you're probably going to see limited left horizontal abduction. We're checking that anyway. You're going to see asymmetrical patterns in thoracic rotation. We, we check that anyway with like a lumbar lock rotation test from TPI. So there are different ways of assessing, and all PRI is doing is, is allowing you to see through a, a, a potentially different lens that, that might allow you to uh, understand how to transiently reduce stiffness And reestablish neutrality in a more efficient way. Um, but, you know, I, I I don't think that, uh, you know, we have to like inherently like contraindicate everybody who stand in extension from training like no it just means that we need to manage them a little bit differently we need to teach them how to how to flex to get back to neutral and learn to exhale and do more reaching and then we need to go out and train yeah but we're not contraindicating i mean resting posture for males right three to five degrees of anterior pelvic tilt it's five to seven for female like we live in extension we just need to make sure it's not extreme similar to how you know we don't want extreme external rotation because then it means we're going to rip our biceps tendon off our superior labrum like it just—I think the important thing is that with every, um, you know, method or device we encounter, whether that method is CrossFit or PRI or DNS or whatever it is, um, or device, you know, is it kettlebells? Is it, you know, barbells? What is it? We have to understand that it's—it's it's not about the method or the device. It's about the application. Yes. It's about how do, how do we use it? Who do we use it with? In what volume? In what dosage? And probably most important, how do we deliver that? You know what I mean? How, how is the application handed over to clients? Is it with a doom and gloom mindset of, oh my gosh, you're an extension. We can't do anything. We got to get you in all force belly lift and spend 20 hours a day there. Or is it, Hey, let's train, but let's do this first. That puts you in a better position to be successful. And let's uh,
0: choose that, exercises yeah. that aren't going to drive you further into extension. And exactly. there's a, there's a million of those.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think I, it's, it's okay. Go. Ahead, I'm that, sorry. I was just going to say like on the, on the pot, restoration, <clears throat> excuse me, side of it, like. I think Ron is brilliant. I love his instructors. I think they're incredibly well-intentioned. But as with every single school of thought that's out there, there are people that that have taken it too far. You know what I mean? Fundamentalists. Yeah, and and you get that in absolutely every uh, component of the industry. Like you got people that did that with Z Health. You got people that did that with DNS. You get people that do it on the orthopedic side of things who are incredibly like EMG based and evidence based. Um, you get it on the pain science, you know, folks. You get it on the people, um, you know, in, in all different walks of life that, that, that they kind of go to extremes. So I think you know at the end of the day, the people I know who are really successful in this industry, both in terms of having profitable businesses, but also getting really really good results with their clients, whether that's in, you know, college training, conditioning, the pro ranks or in the private sector, wherever it may be, the people who understand that the answer is not the extremes. The answer is as mundane as it sounds, it's being in that gray area. Um, It's saying that, you know, that the answer is it probably depends. And we're going to critically think to evaluate how we apply different methods, methods or devices.
0: Well, it's funny because, you know, like with the PRI stuff, you know, knowing that people, a lot of people get stuck in that right leg pattern where they're just hanging on that right leg with my older clients a lot of times it's as simple as just doing a carry in a left a left arm only you know just carry on the left side as a part of a warm up and all of a sudden you know their right calf isn't cranked anymore you know so it's a, it's a, it's you know taking that principle and saying you know how can we apply it to the client cuz most of my 80 90 year old people are not going to be able to do a lot of those resets. It's just not going yeah. to happen.
1: And it's it, all that is is it's, it's a principle of PRI, right? It's movement yeah. variability. That's one of the yep. things that they emphasize. Is, and that's something that that's not unique to PRI. Like don't right. get me wrong, they do a great job of explaining it and introducing it. And I I, I think their philosophies are great, and I think their seminars are a great value, and I'd highly recommend them. But I mean movement variability, like we know the law of repetitive motion you know has been around for decades you know chiropractors were talking about that in the 70s yes. um you know they talked about added amplitude to your daily life like that's something that they haven't been exposed to everybody's been talking about early sports specialization has without even knowing it encouraged movement variability um and obviously we have to be respectful um you know charlie weingroff talked about this recently i think in like a tweet or a facebook post you have to be respectful of, of structural limitations right? right you can't just add movement variability like if someone's got a raging sports hernia and you tell them to go out and sprint things aren't going to go well no Uh, but you know i think you know for the most part that's something that we've embraced we've appreciated that if somebody works on a factory line doing the same thing all day yes give more amplitude in their daily life good things are going to happen
0: absolutely and i know you're running out of time here because your kids are are finishing up their nap and i appreciate you coming on let's end let's end with this so you know there's so much like when we started this, you know, the internet was, was fairly new, there wasn't that much information. Now there's so much information, there's all these different seminars, and I see these young coaches, they go to a seminar and all of a sudden they throw out everything they've been doing. Um, how do you got, like you're so huge on continuing education, and that's one of the reasons that I follow what you're doing because you're always looking at new stuff, but you don't get away from what you know has worked in the past. You tweak yeah. things, but you don't completely throw out everything you've been doing. Mm-hmm. How do you at Cressy Performance take new information and apply it to what, what is your process for that? Because I think that's something that people really make a mistake on. They learn something new, and then all of a sudden, like the PRI stuff, all of a sudden everybody's doing breathing drills. Everybody's doing resets, and, you know, it's it's it goes from one extreme to the other. How do you avoid that?
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that you actually see, there's a there's – it, an accidental process that's actually developed at CSP. Because there's two facilities. Um, there's staffs in both Florida and Massachusetts that need to be on the same page. Um, when something gets introduced it kind of actually has to go through an audit. Um, so let, let's say uh, Miguel Aragon, CEO, goes to a seminar on the weekend and he picks up some stuff that he thinks is really useful. Here's what needs to happen. When he comes back usually when someone goes to a a seminar, they're responsible for teaching that week's staff in service. So staff in service in Florida is 9 a.m. on Tuesdays. um, And in Massachusetts, it's uh, 1030 a.m. on Wednesdays. So we know that that individual is going to come back and is going to teach it to the group. So teaching is one way for that person to reaffirm their their mastery of the material, but also how to create context and say, here's where I think this, this, and this could enter into our philosophy. So, you know, they're not coming back and trying to overhaul everything in a one or one and a half hour presentation. Instead they're coming back with some ideas and they run it past the whole staff and some interns that are in on there as well. And you know, we we all basically, you know, for lack of a better term, we 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 heighten our BS meter to see if this is something (laughs) that 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 passes the eye test and the ear test. So um, if it's something we like, we apply it, we try it out. We discuss it and then the, the next thing that has to happen actually is we have to film it because if, it, if Miguel introduces it in Massachusetts and let's say John Andrioli who's one of our clients. He's an outfielder in the Cubs system. John lives in Massachusetts and his, his family owns a, a condo down in Jupiter, Florida. So he literally has the best of both worlds. He can escape the winter whenever he wants to go to Florida and train for a week. So if John gets a new exercise in his program that Miguel learned at a seminar and then he goes down to Florida, our Florida coaches need to know how to teach it. There needs to be complete synergy from one place to the next. So that exercise needs to be filmed with a voiceover and put in the video database that's available to our staff and our clients. So they need to know it um, in order to make that happen. So effectively what you realize is that any new information that comes into us before it makes it to our athletes' programs, um, it's got to go through kind of like this this internal audit that's, that's developed over the course of time. So I, I think at the end of the day what you realize is that when that much stuff has to change, there's never a possibility of an overhaul. There's a t- tinker, you know, there's a, you know, you know, like a mild substitution or change, but very, related would we ever overhaul. Um, and the other thing too, is there's just, there a lot of times there's email dialogues. Um, like I sent out a, a, a lengthy write lengthy on thoracic outlet stuff to our staffs in both, um, Florida and Massachusetts. Hey, this is must be green material. This is something that's important for you to cover. And then, you know, Miguel, who we just talked about replied and he said, Hey, here's another article on this topic. Um, I had never seen anybody, uh, Uh, differentiate between venous and arterial related thoracic allot syndrome here's what this article talks about like this is awesome you know i mean this is people making people around them better and exchanging ideas and and trying to improve our collective approach but doing so without throwing the baby out with the bathwater.
0: yeah and and i've watched a lot of your in services on elite training mentorship and and um and and that's a website you can subscribe to if if you're a coach and, and you can follow cressy and there's a couple other people on there but uh you're still on there right Okay. And yeah, that, that's something that I've really have struggled with and I'm trying to do a better job with in my facility is coming up with that system and coming up with, you know, mentoring and teaching. It's hard, you know, when you're working, you're running a business and then you're, you're coaching full time. I mean, it, it's tough, but that's something you've really inspired me and helped me with, with, with uh, making sure that all the coaches are on the same page, more or less, there's going to be some individual differences, but, you know, each client has to know that they're going to be coached similarly no matter who is, is doing the coaching, and that's, that's very important for a successful business
1: absolutely you know and i think that's true across multiple things like it's not just the way you coach clients it's it's the look of the the facility it's the look of the programs it's the interactions they have um you know with with administrative staff like on the sales pitch or client scheduling whatever it may be you want to you want to standardize stuff um you don't want people to have like a a different experience in the wrong ways you know we talked about how important it is to have novelty in their training and the experience but you know if they come in and their program is in a different place every day and they've got to spend 15 minutes looking for it that's not a good client experience experience, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Eric, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I really look forward to seeing you uh, and checking out your boss facility. It'll be uh, next weekend, I believe, which absolutely. will actually be in the past when this comes out. Could you tell us a little bit about anything you've got coming up as far as products you're releasing, where to find you, all that good stuff?
1: Yeah, for sure. We've actually got a, a new resource coming out pretty soon called CSP Foundations. Um, it's actually kind of a continuing education resource that hired, uh, highlights various members of our staff and some of the areas where they're specialized. So Tony Bonvecchio is talking a little bit about the bench press, and Miguel is talking about plyometrics, and uh, my business partner Pete's talking a little bit more on the business side of things. So that should be out sometime this fall. Um, we're in the, the final planning stages, so that's the the newest product in the pipeline, but. Um, in terms of finding more about me, um, Eric Cressy, E R I uh, C C R E S S E Y dot com is the website, and then on Twitter and Instagram, it's just at uh, Eric Cressy. So I'm happy to help anybody with questions they have.
0: Oh, awesome, man! I really appreciate you being on. I hope people got a lot out of this interview. I you know I sure did. Um, and once again, please support Kiefer in his endeavors so I can continue to do this show. Have a great day.
1: Listening to The Jim Laird Show with your host, Jim Laird. If you'd like to hear more,
0: log on to body.io. Don't miss the next episode of The Jim Laird Show when he'll probably say something inappropriate but unexpectedly insightful.